here's what I'm learning personally about wholeness. I'm learning that it can't be managed, it can't be scheduled. It can't be attained in seven easy steps or three key disciplines. And while disciplines and boundaries and wise life choices are building blocks of a life well-lived, we learn wholeness more often than not when our boundaries are shattered, when our disciplines fail us, when our theologies stump us, when our supposedly wise choices betray us. We learn by unlearning, by stumbling and falling into the very thing we attempted to gain on our own terms. This, I believe, is the deep wisdom of my Christian tradition. Sometimes the story we tell ourselves is not really true. Sometimes the story others tell about us is not really true. Here on today's Heart Lift with Janelle, we are going to learn how to rewrite our story. So pick up your favorite pen and journal, grab a cup of something delicious, and start your heart-lifting journey towards living a meaningful life. Oh, welcome. Welcome to today's Heart Lift with Janelle. You have just heard the beautiful voice and the strong voice of Chuck DeGrote, and I am so happy to welcome him to our, our series. And this series is near and dear to my heart because it's a foundation for um, our digging deeper into my new book, Stronger Every Day. So this series, Becoming Stronger Every Day, is a, a prep. It's like the prep, the pregame show. And we're laying a strong foundation here for when we begin to move through our emotional healing pilgrimage, our journey towards wholeheartedness and wholeness. And that journey is going to have some moments in it that uh, might be a little tough. And so I have wanted to bring to you, my, my dear community of heartlifters, men and women who will equip you and empower you to be able to make that journey towards wholeness uh, and and be able to get through it and persevere with a lot more spiritual resilience. So welcome to the show, Dr. DeGroote. Uh, Dr. DeGroote, do I call you doctor or can I call you Chuck? You call me Chuck. Okay. <laughs> well, Chuck describes himself as a follower of Jesus, and that's what I love. I love to call myself a follower of Jesus. A husband to Sarah for 26 years. Is it still that or is the bio old? Is it 26? It's 26 years. Yeah. Yes, that's crazy. (laughs) And father to two beautiful, amazing daughters. He's a professor of counseling and Christian spirituality at Western Theological Seminary in Holland, Michigan. Now, is that the same Holland, Michigan that has that beautiful tulip festival every year? It sure does. Yeah, we did not have it last year and we're going to have a modified (laughs) version this year. (laughs) Oh, I so want to go. Oh, my goodness. He writes books. He writes lots of books. He writes lots of things, (laughs) curriculum, all kinds of things. But he's a licensed therapist and a spiritual director, which is such a a powerful, powerful synergistic combination. And he leads retreats and speaks. So write that down. About a decade ago, he co-founded Newbigin. Am I saying that right? Uh, It's actually Newbegin. Newbegin, like new beginning, Newbegin. House of Studies in San Fran, where he still serves as a senior fellow. And during his years pastoring, he started two church-based counseling centers, which I really love that model. Chuck waited. Okay, you're going to get encouraged here. I know there are a lot of 
a lot of you in this community who want to write and who have this passion to put your story into print, mm-hmm. Chuck waited until he was 40 to publish his first book, a work called Leading Egypt, Finding God in the Wilderness Places. It's a look at how the Exodus story meets us in our stories of fear to freedom and paints a picture of a transformational growth process. I think that's just so what you're all about. In many ways, it's my paradigm for change, he writes. His second book, The Toughest People to Love, hello, focuses on caring for the most difficult people we encounter. Do you know any difficult people? Well, heartlifters, you can see how I, I, I might've had a hard time choosing where to go in this conversation, but I did narrow it down. (laughs) His third book, the one that we're going to center on today, Wholeheartedness, brings a vision of wholeness amidst our perfectionism and shame-based culture. Oh my gosh. It's chock full. I've read it so many times. It has so many underlines and notes and personal history. (laughs) It's chock full of poetry and neuroscience and theology and contemplative wisdom So that's what we will be talking about. He also has a newer, his newest book, lean in here because, you know, I know a lot of you, so I know that this is going to really resonate. When Narcissism Comes to Church, where he diagnoses a profound problem in our churches and clergy. Sadly, this work of assessing pastors and consulting with churches involves significant intersections with narcissism and with its misuse of power, abuse, gaslighting, and more. I know it's so difficult to believe that this goes on within the community of faith, but it does. But today, on a lighter note, we, would you say? (laughs) I just went, "Mm, lighter Mm -hmm. note. Lighter (laughs) note. We want to raise it up a little bit here today. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna chat about wholeheartedness, and the subtitle of that book is "Busyness, Exhaustion, and Healing the Divided Self." And as I said to Chuck earlier, uh, I really want to hone in on that divided self. That's probably an area we haven't talked about a whole lot here in the community in the terminology of the divided self. So you having really your your research and your expertise in this subject is just so beautiful and it's so beautifully written. So this is his book, Wholeheartedness. I want you all to get it. Busyness, Exhaustion, and Healing the Divided Self. And it's so interesting also that it was written pre-COVID, like my book, and it's even more relevant now than ever. Probably is. So welcome, Chuck. I talk a lot and I'm going to try to sit back. I'm loquacious. I'm so excited, but welcome, uh, Chuck. Thank you so much for being here. Thank it's you for wanting to talk about wholeheartedness. I, <laughs> yes, and not narcissism. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. But I really want to talk about narcissism. No, boy. No, we're not going to. I promise. I promise. Yeah. We're good. But everybody listening who, you know, it's not a funny subject. We're making light of it. Um, I tend to laugh. That's one of my defense mechanisms when yeah. I, and when it's starting to hit close to home. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. So the subtitle of that book is Healing Your Community from Emotional and Spiritual Abuse. Sadly, I have been through serious um, spiritual abuse myself, and I write a lot about that in the, my last book, Overcoming Hurtful Words. So if you do want some help and healing in that, I, I personally know Chuck has been on many, many podcasts. I've listened to them. Um, talking about narcissism. You've been on Typology with Ian Morgan. I love him. You've been on with, um, I always get it wrong, Michael John Cusick, John Michael Cusick. Yep, yep. <laughs> I always get his two first names. Um, so guys, you, I'll put those. How about I put 
um, those in the show notes, those links, Mm. so that if today in all seriousness, perhaps that is a subject that is near to and dear and and maybe even a wounded place in your life, uh, we're here for you on that. And I'm always here for you. And I'll put that in the show notes so you can get some additional um, information about that. But today we are talking about emotional health, mental health, and emotional intelligence. I think they're often very overlooked and bypassed within our Christian tradition. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're dedicated to here, Chuck, in our Stronger Everyday community is this threefold cord of emotional health and spiritual authenticity, which is that healthy sense of self, healthy behavior patterns, and healthy communication skills. You write, being known is a terribly uncomfortable thing. (laughs) Yikes, that's on page seven if you have the book. First, Chuck, what does being known actually really mean? I'm so thankful that there's more conversation than ever around this topic of being known. What is that? And why is that so uncomfortable for some of us? Or maybe nine... 99% 99% of us. Yeah. And it's such a good question. I, I feel like it gets back to our, um, the original intention, uh, the way it was supposed to be, you know, God's imagination for life uh, as, as we were supposed to live it. Um, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit creating us in and for intimacy, connection, and relationship. Uh, to know and to be known. And of course, of course, before you know it, three chapters in, Adam and Eve are yeah. sowing big leaves and they're in hiding. And and I think that's the rest of the story, right? And so now we've 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 sort of we've got this original imagination for knowing and being known for vulnerability and intimacy and connection. Yeah. And yet we live in the reality of hiddenness, shame, uh, pain, addiction defense mechanisms. You and I like to laugh to hide our deeper pain. And so I'll probably laugh a lot today. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. But I think the thing about this is being known is not just our, our biblical origin story. It's our psychological origin story as Mm. well. That, that um, to be seen, to be soothed, to be safe, to be secure, the four S's that come from Dan Sigel's work, right? Yes. That's, that's really so core to our our bonding and our attachment are thriving as, mm-hmm. uh, as, as, child, as infants, children, human beings. Yeah. Uh, and, and if we don't have that, we go looking for that. And of course we all go looking for that in all yeah. kinds of different ways. But mm-hmm. uh, we, some of yeah. us, if, if we've been neglected or abused, go looking for that in all kinds of ways that can be hurtful and harmful to ourselves. And so I do think that being known is about as core and, and by the way, I mean, I don't know that anyone owns the words being known, but I mean, I, I hear echoes of, of uh, a friend, a new, newish friend of mine, Kurt Thompson. Yes, he's going to um, be on. Yeah. I know, I know. Yeah. Stay tuned, guys. So, so please, when you talk to him, uh, just let him know. Chuck is just echoing all the good stuff that Kurt has <laughs> to say, because I really do feel like Kurt has been such a teacher to so many of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, I love that you shouted him out, but I also know that you're writing about it very beautifully. So I want to hear what you have to say as well. Yeah. So being known, right? Why is that uncomfortable to us? Is it is? I love that you also are bringing in the integration of theology, mm-hmm. spirituality, 
and psychology because something that you and I chatted about just before was the spiritual bypassing that's bypassing how men and women of faith just tend to bypass the psychological realm. Yeah. Why is that? Yeah. We bypass things that are uncomfortable to us, right? Emotions Mm. uncomfortable to us. I mean, the, the, I don't think I knew the language of spiritual or emotional passing when I, I wrote uh, this book, leaving Egypt. Right. But the whole idea is like, we go on this journey and we can't avoid the wilderness. And um, uh, there's no helicopter to take us from Egypt. No drones. No drones. (laughs) Where were they? Yeah. And in the church, um, let me just put it this way. And I, I hope people hear this the right way. The white church in particular, mm-hmm. yeah, um, this is good. We, we avoid, we avoid the wilderness. Like the black church has had to go through the wilderness they and have. their songs are songs, their wilderness songs. Yeah. And the Exodus marks their journey. But for, for many of us, um, there's a kind of comfort to our lives in a way that we like, okay, so if things aren't going well, I'm just going to buy, well, maybe I'll buy one of Chuck's books and it'll fix me, you know, or I'll read this Bible passage yes. and that'll make it better. Or I'll just pray this prayer. And we treat God like a, a genie. If we just say the magic incantation, you know, we'll get our three wishes and everything will go well for us. God actually doesn't work like a magic genie or an ATM machine. God meets us actually in, in the midst of the dark night of the soul, as St. John of the Cross called it five centuries ago, right? In yeah. the pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the struggle. The in the struggle. Yeah. In the wilderness, for sure. Two ways we can go. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you the freedom to choose the way. When we talk about wholeheartedness, when we talk about why it's uncomfortable to um, talk about the more difficult emotional states, right? Mm-hmm. Those yeah. things that we really don't want to get underneath it. I, I say a lot here, you know, sometimes uh, I, even my own client, my, me, let me start with me. I just want to go in a prayer line, have them wave the spiritual wand and I go home and I'm fine. And I, I'm just so happy and whole all of a sudden. That's right. Okay. I, I, I've done that so many times. I value every spiritual practice. I value prayer lines. I value people coming to, I, all of that I honor. But understanding psychologically, you know, and and I think coming to terms with that, you know, God created our brains. Mm -hmm. He created a spirit, soul, and body. And in chapter three, you write using our brains. That's the chapter title, using our brains, the neurobiology of wholeness. And if you would just let me read this just for a second, Chuck. Indeed, we now know enough about the human brain to know that it takes many years to connect the disparate dots of our lives. Many of our life experiences lead us to places of disconnection, disharmony, and dividedness. The best psychology and neurobiology show us, okay, this is what I call a lean-in moment here, that the quality of our earliest relationships goes a long way towards setting up our brains to thrive. Our developing brains try to make the best sense possible out of the many wild and wonderful events of our early days. And we I'll add here, because we talk a great deal about trauma in this community. 
including Uncle Jake's funny but disturbing silly faces and Grandpa nearly dropping us when we are two months old and Mom not quickly responding as quickly as we would have liked for the next feeding. Our earliest memories are implicit memories stored in a variety of areas in the brain. These memories aren't organized like many of our later memories. They're not narratives with a definite me involved. We can't place these memories on a neat timeline and give them a definite plot line. In fact, our early emotions and perceptions and bodily traumas are actually encoded in patterns or schemas, which are just stories that impact the way we view the world and relate to others in life. You talk a lot in this chapter about splitting. Mm. And so I'm just diving, I'm diving right in here. Um, and while we're talking about wholeheartedness and what that really looks like, I kind of want you to go over here and explain to us what the divided self looks like. Yeah. Yeah. We're made to be whole. We're made to be in union and communion with a God who, who loves us, smiles on us, uh, enjoys, you know, and enjoys a walk in the garden on uh, yes. playful moments of connection. And, and the reality is, is that that earliest story tells us that something was off, something was wrong. And we went on our own in, in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, 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 the story in scripture is the story of grabbing fruit, right? Um, yes. and, and our stories look, um, so wildly different in all mm-hmm. kinds of different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but we know that um, it's inevitable that we're going to go our own separate way, right? We're going to yes. move away from, I mean, from the very moment we're born, right? <laughs> I love the, I love the uh, 17th century poet and pastor, George Herbert once said, I cried when I was born and every day shows why. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> we leave right? We leave that original sort of intimacy with mom. And then, you know, like we come into this world and there are people in lab, white lab coats. And, yes. and now, you know, and it's, it's cold yes. and we're crying. And now water and all kinds yeah. of things. So, so in, in a way it's, it's like, it's not the way it's supposed to be. And from the very beginning, we're, we're longing for that, that reunion, yes. right? And yes. so the splitting that you're talking about is, and I'm going to say it the way I, I can say it. And, and oh, you say it so well, <laughs> but it's like, I, I think it has to do with, um, you know, it's, it's self-protective in, in nature, mm-hmm. right? Um, we're just trying to survive a world that can be harsh and hard. And even, you know, like some of my students will say, but I grew up in a great home. And, and I, I want to say, but you still grew up in a broken and sinful world, you oh, know, yes. collective and trauma, right? Collective trauma. And it's not perfect. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so we develop capacities mm-hmm. for coping in that world ways of, yeah. you know, so, so I, you and I joked a little bit about being jokers, you know, I, we yeah. learned to be, I, I learned that my sense of humor Me is too. one way that I can cope in the world. I learned that I've got to deflect that way too. deflect hard topics that way. Right. Um, I, I learned that I had a brain I could use my brain and that could be one way that I survive in the world. Mm. I learned that if I withdraw and I just stay quiet and I don't get as involved, that could be another way of protecting myself in the, in the world. This is, these are trying to describe very practical ways of splitting Mm -hmm. so much so that, um, I, I often tell the story of, uh, shortly I had finished well, no, 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 no. I had finished Toughest People to Love. I was writing Wholeheartedness, but I was in transition from San Francisco to Holland, Michigan, where I am now. Wow, that's a big transition. Um, 
came on faculty here at, you know, now, now I'm not faculty. That's intimidating. And there are people <laughs> from big school, big name schools, Academia. right? And I remember sitting there and feeling like one part of me felt like a little boy. And another part of me told a funny joke to endear myself to the crowd. And then I thought, what if I, what if I save up something really intelligent to say and say it really well, then I'll be in. Then another part of me was like, just don't say too much too quickly or else they'll judge you. Now, now I'm, you know, now I'm 42 year old Chuck and I'm split in a variety of different yeah. ways. That starts at a very, very early age as a it way does. of coping with a, with a, with a broken world. Even, even those of us who grew up in good homes, mm-hmm. we've got to negotiate and navigate a world that's complicated. Yeah. Uh, and so that, that's, that's some of what splitting or this divided life looks like is how am I going to be? How am I going to show up? Who's the Chuck that is going to show up today to be with Janelle? You know? Yes. Oh uh, my gosh. That's so relevant and so good. Yeah. Yeah. Is it polished Chuck? Like I would say um, I split off in fourth grade when I performed at a talent show and twirled two batons and twirled and whirled my way into applause and affirmation because prior to that, I was the new kid in the school. I was probably six foot four and skinny and carrot red hair and just so un. (laughs) And so, but when I heard that applause, Mm. I mean, it just soaked in my soul, my little from the home of an alcoholic father who was just desperate to have some attention and some focus and some, you know, so I split there, right there. If I perform and I show up and I am like, wow. Mm -hmm. So I always say, don't need to be stage self. You're not on stage. That's right. On the stage. Right. I'm splitting. That's a form of splitting, right? And it could be athletics. It could be ministry. Yeah. It could be, you could go in all sorts of different directions. And I think um, it could be, it, the the very bit we you mentioned trauma a moment ago right yes um, we have a variety of different ways of coping our autonomic nervous system we know at least four ways fight flight freeze or fawn mm. the ways in which our sympathetic parasympathetic nervous system copes with again a world that can be dangerous at yes. times right and um, and I'm you know uh, one of my strategies then is fawn fawn is um, I'm going to deal with an anxious world by playing along and being good and, and doing my part and, you know, and I could very easily show up in the midst of my anxiety in in that kind of space, you know? And so, so there's a lot of work that we need to do internally. And this is the work that you and I do when we sit with people um, so that we can become the whole people that God made us to be. So that when I show up here Mm -hmm. for a few minutes before I get on to breathe, I can get centered, right? I can say, be here now, Chuck, be with Janelle. You don't have to be in that conversation two hours from now. You don't have to be in that, that, that fight that you had with a colleague earlier today, whatever it is, right? Yeah. Be here now, you know? Yeah. Right now. Exactly. I love that. It's so good. You know, we're also in a, um, a global pandemic now, as I said earlier, we are, we really are. And we're all now wearing these physical masks. I think it's so very interesting. And I remember when it started and we were mandated to wear them, I was just freaking out. Like I just, my brain, my amygdala, I don't know. Well, I, I do know because having to put something visible over my mouth, mm. like a muzzle. Yeah. And so it 
definitely triggered something stored in my amygdala in my fight, flight, or freeze or fawn uh, part of my, my mind, my brain. And it had to do with, I just found my voice. I have just become a a woman that feels whole and can use her voice. And in this community, we equate voice with our value, our worth and our dignity. So to have to, and I couldn't figure it out for a few weeks. And then I went, Oh, that's what it is. You know, now I've been working so hard in my life to become wholehearted and to not be living a divided life anymore, a split life. I also say it this way in our community, Chuck, um, you know, disordered attachments, Mm -hmm. right? All of these things that we're we're doing in our life to try to find our belonging, our sense of Mm -hmm. security and safety and where we're heard and seen and known. So it was very, very frustrating to now have to seemingly put that on. It also helped me do some growth work in my own life. So that's a good thing. It's always a good thing when we're aware and God is is doing these things to help us be even more whole. How do you see this pandemic? This is a big question and you can just say, no, I'm I'm not going to answer that question. But how do you see this global pandemic or especially from the viewpoint of being wholehearted when now we're all so divided churches are, you know, a lot of churches in my area are now meeting again, but a lot aren't. Yeah, that's right. So I just said, I I just wanted to see what you had to say about that. I value your, yeah. well, you know, it's so interesting because getting back to our earlier conversation where we're, uh, we're born uh, to experience safety, soothing security, Mm -hmm. Uh, that safety that we long for, uh, that's a longing that continues, you know, and when things feel awry, out of control, anxious, we, um, we reach for control. That might mean Ah. storing, stockpiling, uh, you know, 20 rolls of toilet paper, 20, 20, 12 packs. Or a year full, right? Right? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, and so um, we grasp for control. That's that's a Genesis three way of of saying it, right? We've yes. been grasping as Adam and Eve did. We've been grasping for control ever since. Yeah, um, that's so good. This yeah. is a primitive uh, function in our autonomic nervous or neurobiological system, right? This is this is as as, as early as it gets, mm-hmm. and because we're scared. So and scared. when we're scared, right? When we're scared, we we go into um, mm. states in our you know, physiological states that uh, take us offline from connection, from relationship, from real curiosity, calm, listening, compassion, the kind of presence that we're showing one another right now, I think, you know, yeah. we go offline. It's like, uh, I'm a, a boxer that goes back to my corner and I'm just, you know, now I'm like, oh, I gotta, I gotta take care of myself, right? Get the toilet paper. Right? You know, we're battling each other in the supermarket. Sorry, I, I got it first. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just take a pause here for a minute to clarify what this splitting is that Chuck and I are talking about. Have a little teaching moment. We love that here in this community. We're, we're a learning community, so we want to always put on our growth mindsets. Splitting is a very common ego defense mechanism. Defense mechanisms are 
those coping skills that we take on from our early childhood experience to just get through life. Chuck and I are talking about how we we have our fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. And so we will develop these ways to cope and to make our way through this land that we are now calling far away from Eden. And I write more about defense mechanisms and triggers in Stronger Every Day about round page 186. So you can look that up for some some more of your own research and study. But for today, just uh, so we understand it a little bit more, splitting is a psychological Like I said, a defense mechanism, which allows us to tolerate difficult and overwhelming emotions. And remember, we often say that difficult, overwhelming emotions can be trauma. Little T, middle T, big T. Anything that's too big for our body, we come outside of our body, we pick up defense mechanisms and coping skills so that we can navigate our way through really, really difficult situations. We then, we see something as either good or bad. That's what splitting involves, idealized or devalued. This makes it easier to manage the emotions that are too big for our body that we're feeling, which on the surface seems to be contradictory. An article that I read on Psychology Today that I will put into the show notes writes it this way. We often see splitting in politics. For example, when left-wing politicians think of right-wing politicians as narrow-minded and self-interested, and right-wing politicians think of left-wing politicians as self-righteous hypocrites or some such. Other examples of splitting are the hospital patient who sees the physicians as intelligent and hardworking, but the nurses lazy and competent. The religious zealot who classifies everyone as either blessed or damned. And the child of divorcees who idolizes one parent while locking out the other. This article also gives really brilliant examples in literature in J.D. Salinger's Catcher in the Rye and in Don Quixote. So I encourage you to, if you're interested or maybe a bit confused as I was when I was writing Stronger Every Day, the chapter on defense mechanisms was a difficult one because they're hard to put into a language that really really speaks to you. And so I did my best and I offer the best to you. So I hope this little moment was helpful. I also want to read from Chuck's book, Wholehearted, page 63 and 64. He writes, what neuropsychology shows us with great clarity is that we're not flying solo. We're embodied relational people whose lives and minds are connected to those of others. Our divisions that divided life we're talking about here, this splitting, emerge from the inner divisions of our parents and extended family, our early peers, and in our developmental successes and failures, where we bring our inner divisions. Others experience division. Let me repeat that. This is so vital. Where we bring our inner divisions, our fragmentation, our divided life, others around us are going to experience division. Where we bring our wholeness, others experience wholeness. This is a kind of law of nature, or perhaps a law of the brain, which ought to give us pause 
and humility mm. as we consider our relationships. Neurobiologists are teaching us much about division, both within and without. So, so important. Just wanted to pause. Hope this teaching moment brings you more clarity. As I said recently to a group of people, we I, I, was, I spoke yesterday for the first time to about a group of 60 men at my church. You know, we got together, we were distanced in masks. And uh, in, in, in the same space. In, in a sim- yeah, in the same Ooh. space, very spread out. What you was know? that like? Well, I was, I told them in the beginning, I'm very anxious. You know, I was anxious about it. I was, I'm vaccinated now, thanks be to God, mm-hmm. but I'm, but I said, what's, what's fascinating to me is that in moments like this, we we become so split, we become so anxious, so controlling that we are now dividing over mask wearing, not over the Trinity, yes. not over the resurrection, over mask wearing, right? We are. And so, vaccinations. And vaccinations, right? And this is how far afoot we are from mm-hmm. how far we are from Eden, from connection to one mm-hmm. another, from curiosity. But I, I realize it, you know, when we are in our uh, activated sympathetic nervous system. And it's all, you know, it's all alive in us right now. And the only, it's like a tiger is chasing after you, as Peter Levine might say, right? That's correct. And it's like, all I, all I can do is survive. I'm not thinking about Janelle at that point. I'm not thinking about my neighbor as myself, you know, I'm thinking no. about, and so the problem with this is we become chronically anxious. You know, we, we end oh, up, yeah in states where that's that becomes the norm. And I, I see us in a place right now to get kind of full circle to your question, mm-hmm. where many of us are chronically anxious and it's coming out and um, we're embracing narratives, uh, you know, whether, whether it's in our theological or political spheres or whatever it might be that are narratives of control and self-protection that's rather so than see relationship, compassion, and that's, that's really dangerous. That's really dangerous. And, and empathy, vulnerability. We, yeah, we're, we've traded that for control. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I hope, I mean, I think that's where you're, you're an ambassador, I think, in your work of, of, of light, of life, of yes. vulnerability, of empathy, of relationship, of one voice in the wilderness crying out, right? Yes. Another way. Yeah. Yes, there is a better way. There is another way. Yeah. But, you know, I said, take a pause. It's just so good. Mm-hmm. We're so far away from Eden. Yeah. That phrase is the, that's a book waiting or something so mm-hmm. far away from Eden. That's so profound. Yeah. And so I'm like, so how do we get back there to that place of being known and that place of wholeheartedness and, you know, I know that in your work as a spiritual director, how much, how big of a part the contemplative practices play in your life. And right. I, I talk about them all the time because I've been working decades on trying to be quiet. <laughs> still, I was a dancer. I've danced my whole life, yeah. you know, so to be still is, you know, really difficult but is there something um, that you can just offer to us here? Maybe um, a practice, yeah. one simple thing that yeah. when we are in that chronic state of anxiety, yeah. and believe me, I'm there on so many times, and 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 I know this stuff. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, 
one place we could start just something yeah yeah well that's good and let me let me just say this to you as a dancer there's mm. good news because uh, do you know the work of Barbara Holmes uh, on the contemplative practices of the black church? Oh, I just heard her. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. I heard her on a podcast. Okay. She's like, Tell us. You know, she's like, you white people, you don't own contemplation and it's very Western individualistic for you. It's uh, off at a corner doing your silence and solitude for us. It's in community, it's dance, it's embodiment, right? So don't worry about that. I mean, Thank you. You know, I, I do think that the contemplative tree um, uh, is, is wide and broad and there are a lot of different practices. But I do think that one of the things that we know about our bodies is that we, uh, how do I put it? I mean, we, well, we crave embodiment. We crave being present yes. and being present, right? So, so many of us live from, I don't know if we're on video, but from the neck up, right? We live these mm -hmm. Gnostic lies. We're all up in our heads and yes, COVID yes. hasn't helped with that because now we're talking heads on Zoom and yep. we crave embodiment, right? Right, right. You're a dancer. So you've been, yes. that. thanks be to God, you've had embodiment. Um, uh, it's yeah. muscle memory for it you. It kept me alive for years, for uh, sure. It was where I was disembodied. When I was dancing, yeah. I understood embodiment. And when I was in Kenya with my Kenyan sisters... Lord Jesus. Yeah. Ah, we, yeah, we, yeah. I was like, this is where I belong. Yeah, that's right. I, this right. is, I know, I don't want to go. This is it. I want to move here. I want to live amongst them. Yeah. They're groaning and moaning on the one hand deeply and prayer and the other. And then we're dancing and we're moving our hips. And yeah. So I mean, that's it. Right. And and I think yeah. that that's, we, uh, I will, I will sit with folks who've been in survival states of like mm. chronic stress and anxiety. And I will, I will say, so what's the last time you breathed? And they'll look at me like, I don't know that I breathed in 20 years, you know, like, I, I think that that's part of it is, is uh, we have lost, we have lost track with our bodies. This is why people do yoga and things oh, like yeah. that. I hope some mm -hmm. people are not, not excited about these kinds of practices, but the different practices that we employ in the Christian tradition. And I talk about some, um, involve us uh, using our our breath, using our yes. bodies um, to get present to God, to ourselves, yeah. to um, what uh, what we in the Christian tradition often call the true self yes. in the midst of all the other yes. selves that are split off, the funny self, the academic self, the withdrawn self, the mm -hmm. little boy, the um, I get yes. present to myself, you know, so here again, uh, a few minutes before I get on with you, um, I, I breathe in deeply through my nose and my tummy goes out. This is my way of breathing. Yeah. Big belly breath. And I hold and I let it out through my mouth. Like I'm steaming up a, a mirror mm -hmm. and I just let that mm. go as long as I can. Mm. Go ahead and lead us, lead us in another one. That's yeah. great. And then in through your nose. And hold out through your mouth. I know that for many of us, moving into these contemplative practices where the breath, the breath leads and guides the, the practices of silent stillness and solitude are new. And so it's going to bring us to a place probably like a new land, <laughs> a terrain we've never been on before. 
And Chuck writes in Wholeheartedness, pages 131 and 132, this true self, or as we say in our community here, our God-breathed self, our essence, is made to experience extraordinary union and communion with God. It is our spiritual center, the dwelling place of the Spirit. If we could live from this center and core, we'd live with the kind of patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control that St. Paul calls the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. But as we listen within, we notice other scattered voices vying for attention, arguing with us, hiding from us, and sometimes sabotaging us. We must pay attention to these inner strangers because they'll tell us something of our lost story, revealing longings long forgotten. Each voice is an indicator revealing one of our heart's attachments. Each gives us a window into a place where desire's energy is being depleted. Each helps us honestly respond to God's, Where are you? Where are you, daughter? Where are you, son? Where are you, child? In fact, as we listen to and welcome each voice, we might even imagine the spirit within listening compassionately and attentively, eager for the wholeness we long for. If you haven't done much of this kind of work, you might find yourself overwhelmed at this point. Twenty different internal voices might be swirling within you right now. You might feel the inner division in a palpable way. Or you might wonder if you're just a little crazy. No, no, my dear Heartlifter, you're not. You're just not accustomed to disrupting your fragmented inner ecosystem, an ecosystem that's a bit frazzled right now. This is why you must go slowly and carefully. This work is done in weeks, months, and years, not in minutes. You may want to give yourself a few minutes away from your inner reflection. Fix a cup of tea in the meantime or take a bath. It's good to take care of your body as you do this inner work. But when you're ready, return to it. And always start with the breath. These are actually not just contemplative practices, but ways of activating your vagus nerve, your autonomic nervous system, which uh, develops resilience, uh, calms your system. It's a natural, it's a natural way. It's like we go to our, you know, three glasses of wine at night yes. or whatever our practices are, not not against that at all. Nope. I prefer mm-hmm. a martini, but no judgment uh, here ever. Yeah, we go to these places, but this is our body's way of, of regulating, like getting back to center. And so I can come to sitting down with Janelle. I can do some breathing. I can get back to center. It brings me back online, brings me back to my prefrontal cortex. It activates my heart centered ventral vagal system. And again, you're going to bring the expert on and if you, if you, uh, Stop. Stop so, it. <laughs> but, and then from that place, it's like, my, I can feel my heart. I'm in my yeah. body. I'm here with, yeah, you we're now. in our body. Right. We're, yeah. Yeah. We're in our bodies. I don't know you. You don't know me, but we're showing up to one another mm-hmm. in a way that a lot of people don't show up to one another, mm-hmm. even if they've worked next to one another in cubicles for 20 years, you neighbors, know? whoever, right. Neighbors. Sit in church next to each other. Oh my goodness. That, and that's for years. It. And this is why we're so far from Eden, right? This we is are so far from Eden. 
we're we're near each other, but we're not connected. We are so not connected. That's that's it right there. And I'm going to pound the table and I'm going to preach it and I'm going to do what I have to, to help bring some form of authentic connection. Okay. Before we leave, that was just so good. I want to value you and your time. We share a love for yet another person, Irish poet, David White. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. I I was like, yes. Oh, I just love his work so, so, so much. And I quote him in my new book and I digest his poetry as much much as possible. We can't really read it here or share it without his permission, which is always so sad. But um, you can look up David White and it will be in the show notes. And you tell of a conversation, it's right in the beginning of the the book, page eight, uh, between David White and brother David Steindl Rast, which another one of my favorites. And David asked brother David, did I say that? It is David and David. Tell me about exhaustion. Would you mind sharing that story in the short amount of time we have left? Brother David shares the antidote to exhaustion is. Wholeheartedness. What? Uh, Yeah. Just give us a wrap up on that. What does that mean? Yeah. Well, first of all, as you know, you don't make a lot of money writing books. You do not. It costs a lot of money to put poetry in. And I've got a whole chapter of poetry in this book. And it, and it costs a lot of money. Ch- chapter four is like, oh, my goodness. I only did one so, quote of his. So I understand. It's You so, did a whole chapter? Yes. Yeah. I get it. It, um, it's it, it's so profound, right? He tells this story in the context of a season of his life where he was overwhelmed. He was busy. He was divided. In fact, he was so divided himself that he was working for a nonprofit. He walked into the break room looking for someone else. And he, he accidentally said, where's David? And he realized in that moment, I'm, I'm looking for myself, you know? And so, I know. So as you and I do, you know, that evening he had an appointment with brother Di- David Steindel Rast to read Rilke. You know, of course I had that appointment tonight. And I'm sure it was in the Gal- it was in Galway or Ireland or somewhere yeah. in the Moors and they're, they're lighting wow. a fire like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. John O'Donohue is going to walk in. I don't know. They're I mean, this is this is what these folks do. I Just guess so crazy. You know, and he tells the story like I'm I, you know, I, uh, you know, he reads Rilke in the German, and I read him in the English, and we go back. And, but tonight we weren't going to do that. So he tells the story in his Welsh accent, and it's beautiful. But he he says uh, he says it. Sit down with him, and before we even have an opportunity to read poetry together, he says, "Tell me about exhaustion." And he's waiting, you know, with bated breath. And Brother David Steindel Rast says, the antidote to exhaustion is not necessarily rest. And it's at that moment, you know, I remember where I was. I was listening to his his CD called The Poetry of Self-Compassion. This was in the early 2000s. And I literally had to pull over to the side of the road. Uh, I had it in my car, CD player. I was, uh, was a pastor for many years. I was going to preach somewhere. And I pulled over to the side of the road, and when he said, uh, the antidote to exhaustion is wholeheartedness, I just started weeping. Oh, and Chuck. This oh, was in 2000, uh, maybe two, 2002, 2003, somewhere around there, um, 2004. It was early. Um, Tell me I, why. Why, I, why that? Why the tears? Yeah, I, I think it's because whatever, whatever the word wholeheartedness it, I mean, it's the, uh, it's the name of the book, right? I mean, but I, I simultaneously 
felt like I had stumbled onto the great secret and I didn't have a clue what it was. At all. And exactly. I was, I was, I'm 50 now. I was probably 34, 33, 34 oh, at the wow. time. I was, you know, young, two kids, young buck. two kids, two young girls. Um, and were you exhausted? I was, I had, I had, uh, been fired from my first job, uh, in ministry for kind of taking a stand on some things. And I felt what, what I didn't know, by the way, Janelle, and this is more than you want to know, but like it oh, took no. another 10 years to realize that there was a lot of trauma. Yeah, um, yeah I'm was, sure. It was, it was there 10 years later, maybe that yeah. where I realized I was in a, uh, an abusive, uh, system. I was in a very patriarchal abusive system and I was standing up for women who had been emotionally and spiritually abused. And, um, you just don't do that in, in old boys systems, you know, and, and okay, now I'm going to weep profoundly painful. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Profoundly painful. Yeah. Yeah. Chuck, we all, I'm you're going to keep going, but thank you mm. for being yeah. our voice. Yeah. Don't stop. Okay. Finish up. Yeah. Tell well, us. I mean, <laughs> I didn't, so but there was trauma involved and it took about a decade. So at that moment, yeah. did wholeheartedness like. So Brene Brown starts using yes. all this, right? In uh, 2008, 2009, whenever it is, her TED talk comes out. She's talking about, I have people in the church in San Francisco coming to me saying, have you heard? It feels like the gospel is coming through to us through Brene Brown yes. in a way that. And, you know, I'm, I'm starting to learn more about the brain and trauma and Daniel Siegel's work. And I, I don't think Kurt was on the radar at that time. And, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, and so it was, thanks, thanks be to God for David White, John O'Donohue, Mary oh. Oliver, Brene Brown. Yes. Uh, Brene is actually who I was referring to you guys. And I know you knew that in the earlier part of the podcast, who brought I, the subject of wholeness and belonging to us. To I the- mean, yeah, such a, a prophet of sorts, right? And so yes, really very much so. the book emerged out of me doing the work on the ground in the city of San Francisco in a very busy, distracted, divided, entrepreneurial, um, experience-oriented place, doing that work and, and recognizing that um, inviting people to oneness and worthiness in Jesus, um, well, that's a challenging thing. I remember leading a 48 hour, hour silent retreat and asking people to turn off their cell phones and oh. literally having people come to me saying, no, my, like my living relies, my life depends on my cell phone being on. Yeah. Um, and it, and it's a matter of life and death. If I turn it off, I'm like, really, is it? <laughs> no, I, actually it's a matter of like, I'm not going to get the call from the colleague. And so yeah, we mm-hmm. were, Yep, we were we were trying to in retreat centers and silent retreats, trying to figure out what does wholeness mean mm-hmm. in the context of of a city like San Francisco, and really the book was born out of that. How yeah. interesting! How interesting geography. We've been talking a lot about geography with some of our guests lately. How geographically and how strategic Christ is in putting us in those particular yeah. locations, and what a place to start learning about wholeness, San Francisco. Really yeah. so busy. My daughter lived there. Yeah, it's so busy. Yeah. It's a fascinating yeah. visit, but incredible yeah. city and complicated city. Yeah. Exactly. So as we're closing, I don't want to, but we will because it's time. And I just thank you so much for being um our voice, for being vulnerable to share more about mm. your pulling over to the side of the road. I can 
I can understand that. I've been there. And um, I know that you've made some very difficult choices in life, you know, to get to the place where you are today. And I just thank you for being our reformer, a reformer in our, our church who is leading us all, you know, on this beautiful journey through the wilderness so that we can become our truest self. In our community here, we call it our God-breathed self because God breathed his breath into us. And as you so beautifully led us back to that breath to remind us that his breath is in us and it's full of everything that we need right. to actually make our way from being divided to being whole. That's it. Preach. Preach. Can I? Oh my <laughs> Look at me. I asked for permission. Oh my gosh. It's, it's muscle memory, isn't it? Once you've been <sighs> in that world, right? That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. But you are, look at what you're doing. That's exactly what you're doing. And you're offering light and you're leading us back to Eden. And it's good work, you know. Stop counseling me. Uh, No, (laughs) thank you. This is a good work that you're doing and um, a great, a great time and great connection with you. Thank you for it. Thank you so much. You'd be blessed. Everybody out there, um, tell us, Chuck, real quick, where they can get a hold of you. uh, And then I'll have everything you need to, to find. Yeah. Reverend Dr. Chuck DeGroat. Yeah. 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 So um, it's pretty simple. ChuckDegroat.net um, is, is my website. You can find more out there and uh, you know how that, all that stuff goes. So I do. Yeah. And I think that web, your website is so stocked full and um, I've, I'm already signed up for one of your courses and it's just been so good on the contemplative practices. And so wholeheartedness, go out and get your copy today so that you, my friend, can add that to your emotional health toolbox because it's going to be very helpful. And you'll hear, you'll hear me a lot talking from it. So I just want to thank you all for joining us today. And most importantly, until we meet next time, always remember that you, Heartlifter, are clothed with strength and dignity, with nothing to fear, and you can smile at your future. Thanks for listening today. It was great having you here. For even more great content and resources, please join the Stronger Everyday online community at JanelleRairdon.com. Always remember, you, my friend, have value, worth, and dignity.